I really feel that um, because I am from a migrant family, and I feel emotionally strongly that they are oppressed, and that it shouldn't be like that. A very negative uh, uh, image to the uh, undocumented migrants for most of the media. So it's very, very, very bad. Most of the media they don't try to see the root cause of undocumented migrants and why these mothers throw their babies, their own child. They don't, they don't uh, find these reasons. They just say, "Ah, how cruel these women are! How cruel she is to throw away her own baby." Which which mother will do that if not this kind of unjust social system? We should have more collaborations, cooperations. Because if we don't do that, it's very easy to be uh, isolated. And we should, we should give all everyone in each country this common idea. No matter we are in a migrant sending country or migrant receiving country, no matter uh, what's the economic um, um, performance in our country, we are all humans. We should be treated equally, okay? At least in one country, we should be treated as, uh, with a common standard. We, there shouldn't be slavery. There shouldn't be workers, migrants that should pay and with a big loan to work in another country just to have a better salary, just to raise their own families. We should eradicate this unjust system. We should work with everyone. We shouldn't let the, uh, the uh, racist idea or the, the differences of uh, nationality or religion to be the block to for the cooperation. We should work with everyone, with the uh, same-minded persons or and, and, and groups to work together. I mean, this democracy or this space of free speech doesn't come from nothing. It's struggled. It's the fruit of struggles. And I, I think in many countries, it's like that. We need these democratic rights and in a more open society. We need to be clear-minded and we should, we, should, uh, we, should protect, we should protect this freedom of speech and an open society as we are. And because without this, we will be threatened and we will we won't have the ability to to campaign so we should use we should facilitate we should maximize this freedom of speech and, and in this open society to do not only for our the bank to ourselves to the migrant workers in taiwan and also to everyone in this region and in the world Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to I Migrant Podcast, which is dedicated to highlighting the stories of migrants and advocates, as well as cross-cutting human rights issues across East and Southeast Asia. The I Migrant Podcast is an initiative of BBC Network, better engagement between East and Southeast Asia. BBC is a cross-regional platform for migrants, their loved ones, supporters and advocates in and from these regions to build a stronger network and collaboration among individuals and civil society actors cross-regionally in order to advocate for better protection of human rights and inclusive and safe governance of migration. 
You can find BBC on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. BBC Share, Connect, and Collaborate. This episode is a part of a series focusing on COVID-19's impact on migrant workers in their major destinations in East and Southeast Asia, following up the cross-regional joint research conducted as part of BBC initiative. And throughout this series, we will host this podcast with the coordinator of this research to hear from each field researcher about the situations in their place, their experience and updates on the recent development. I'm your host, Andy, and today I am with Mariko. Mariko is the research coordinator of BBC's latest report, which is the Reparation and Resilience. Hi, Mariko. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. Yes, I'm well, thank you. Um, yes, my name is Mariko, and I was the research coordinator of this um, joint uh, collaborative work with um, the field researchers from seven major destinations of migrant workers. And, and um, yeah, Lennon, who is today with us, was the field researcher from Taiwan. But um, yes, so I was the coordinator. I worked with all the field researchers. And the report is now available on the website of Human Rights Working Group. So I'm glad to join by Lennon today. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and uh, as mentioned already, today we are so lucky to have Lennon uh, here with us to shed lights on uh, migrant worker situation in Taiwan. Um, just a little bit of introduction. Lennon is the director or uh, international coordinator for uh, SPA, which is Serve the People Association. And we also here with Awi, Mas Awi is uh, uh, the Deputy Director of Human Rights Working Group and go- is going to join with us today as well. Hello, hello Andy, Mariko, Daniel and everyone. I am, I'm Lennon from Serve the People Association in Taiwan. Hi Andy, hi Mariko and Lennon, very happy to see you here. So um, yeah, Lennon, uh, can you please tell us a bit about the main findings of your research last summer okay so uh, in this part um, we can find that is uh, in brief the COVID-19 situation in in, in Taiwan until now um, is is uh, more or less controlled um, uh, peacefully we mm-hmm. didn't we don't really have a very big outbreak until now luckily uh, but mm-hmm. even so under the under this um, good situation which was uh, has been praised by many people around the world we still as activists and advocates for migrant workers we still see there are many problems inside okay i just make it brief uh, so firstly the uh, personal uh, protection tools like the mask is not really distributed or sold equally uh, at least in the beginning okay at least in the beginning um uh so so, so in, let me make it brief usually you you need to now now there's no problem because the production is, is has been very big after a few months but in the beginning uh last year in 2000 um 2020 
uh, it has been a shortage of masks actually all around the world. So it has been very difficult to buy the mask. And in the in the beginning, you have to we have to have to to buy the, the Taiwan government used a very um, successful way to control the uh, amount the distribution of the mask the face masks. So, but we have to to use our uh, national health insurance card to to buy the masks, and the quantity was controlled. So, in the beginning, it's like um, a week we can buy one or two, then three, and then a little bit more uh, as as the growth of the production of the masks. Um, but the problem is not all, not everyone in Taiwan has the valid health insurance card. So some migrants, their card, they, including all of their IDs, actually like passport or another um, alien residence certificate, we call ARC. Many of their the, the, their IDs are controlled, confiscated by the employer, so they don't have that. They don't have it, and there are some gaps that they don't have a valid card. And of course, not to mention the undocumented migrants, they don't have it at all. And also the fishermen on the uh, um, distant water fishing vessels. They are not covered by the national health insurance. So they don't have, they don't even have the card. So, so it's impossible or at least very hard for them to buy it. So that's, that's the first. And then there are this, and we, we also saw discrimination, uh, on migrant workers or especially on the undocumented migrant workers. After a confirmed case, number 32, she was, uh, Indonesian caretaker. Uh, undocumented she, uh, apparently she got the, the disease from her patient and then because uh, she roll, roamed around in taiwan so there has been the public fear and like witch hunting to find out where she is and there has been um, quite quite bad um i mean quite hostile uh demands from the from some certain government officials to crack down the undocumented migrants Several NGOs and scholars made a very a big campaign to demand the government to have amnesty for the undocumented migrant workers, at least during the pandemic period. But uh, unfortunately, the government didn't really respond on that. They didn't allow it. And uh, and also we heard, we, we also observed um, some certain uh, fishermen found difficulty uh, on even entering Taiwan. We know there are there's a kind of uh, fish. No, sorry, a kind of uh, uh, ships. They don't use your own national flag. They use another. Uh, they register in another country. So this kind of ships we call it a flag of convenience. Actually, that that's the usage of a flag, flag of convenience. So there are many Taiwanese ships. Actually, they they may they might register in Vanuatu, in Panama, in other countries to make 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 themselves easier to to fish and also they they can use the quota of fishing in that flag state okay and because they are not considered as taiwanese uh, vessels they are for foreign because they are registered in another country so during the pandemic period the government forgot that there's a there, there's this kind these vessels they will come to taiwan and they are migrant fishermen they will come to taiwan I mean, they will go home from Taiwan. They have to, so they have to come to Taiwan first. But the government didn't even have a regulation for the quarantine for these fishermen. So, so there has been 
I, I don't really know the exact number, but maybe up to more than 100 migrant fishermen. They might from they, they, they are from the Philippines, the Indonesia, and maybe other countries. They have been staying or stranded in Taiwan for months. Maybe it might be up to six months before the quarantine uh, regulation was formally uh, proceed for them. So that's another problem. And we also saw a, care, a, Filip a certain Filipino caretaker. She was she has been harassed by a certain Philippine official, government official in Taiwan, just because she criticized the Philippine government for the policy during the pandemic. And she was even warned to be um, expelled, to be to be uh, deport, deported back to the Philippines. But luckily, our government, uh, I mean, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Taiwan, they made a very, very clear stance. They, they protected, they protect the freedom of speech of anyone including the migrants who are in Taiwan. So they refuse this deportation. So uh, these are some of the many things we found in Taiwan. Um, yeah, I think that could be a brief introduction of our findings and also the discrimination uh, for the public space. And maybe the one last thing. In Taipei or in many other uh, cities, migrants, they use, because they, they don't really have, um, uh, they don't have so much money, and many of them, they don't really have regular day off. So they try to use free or public space to gather as much as possible. So in Taipei, the most famous, most popular place for the migrants is the lobby inside the Taipei train station because it's very big and it's comfortable, it's air-conned. So of course, it's what is rain-proof. So many of them, they will gather there on Sunday. But because of the pandemic, because of the social distancing, so the government announced that, okay, it's forbidden to gather now. Okay, it, it's un understandable because it's for the pandemic. But, and then they announced, they follow up to announce that forever will, will, it, it will be forbidden to gather here. So that's, that is something. So, so then the, so uh, many NGOs, we, we had a protest, we had a counter act. We just gathered, we, we, not, not we, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I, I support them, but I, I wasn't one to lead them. They they, they had a, a, a gathering intentionally inside the area. So there are hundreds of people just gathering there. there. Many Taiwanese. Okay, we just, we want to show the government. No, you, you cannot do that. This is a place that we, we can gather for migrants and also for Taiwanese. So these are several things that for from our uh, gathering. So if, luckily that ban was uh, lifted after this uh, social event. Thanks. Yeah, so as we already heard, like uh, there are several organizations that uh, demanded the government to have a response uh, towards the difficulties that uh, the migrant workers facing, especially on uh, access of health facilities. And when you did the research, you also saw that there are discrimination and hostility towards migrant workers that are stranded for months in Taiwan, right? But like, how was it for you uh, personally when you did this research? Yeah. And also, sorry, just to jump in, Lennon, I wanted to also know um, your your work and how you kind of, you know, interact with the with the migrant communities in your daily work because okay. um when yeah that's just relating to Andy's question how how right. it was for you to do the research because um you know our all field researchers have direct connections day yeah. to day 
the migrant communities. So yeah, please uh, let us know like about your work yeah, sure. and also how you did this research as well. Yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention in the beginning. Uh, in SPA, we have shelters for migrant workers. Now we have three shelters, one for Indonesians, one for Vietnamese, one for the Filipinos. And I have been heading the shelter for almost seven years until very recently. So I focus on the Filipinos more, more, mostly. Uh, but we know the cases from other nationalities too. So for the, for for those years, I've been uh, we are we are handling the cases every day. So we have the the messages, the complaints, uh, asking for help from all of the migrants all over the the country. So that's how we we have their impacts and their messages. So that's how we knew it, and also that that's also how we have the cases. We uh, we we helped three uh, fishermen from the FOC ships uh, last year so three of them they have been sheltered in our place and one of them have been identified as a victim from human trafficking so he's still there until now and two of them they, the other two they left they went home already so yeah and and other things like uh, oh the the filipina who criticized the uh, philippine government i was one of them who tried to say to protect her I contacted with her and also I contact with the legislator and also the local government. So I, I try to participate in, in her cases too. In some other cases, we help the, the, the migrants directly. And some, of course, some, we I, I, I heard it from the news. And some like in a campaign, we participated in those campaigns, like the amnesty campaign. Great. I mean, it's great to hear all this, you know, civil society's um, advocacy work, especially, you know, for this case and also what you were talking about, the Taiwan Central Stations um, to protect the, the space for the migrant workers to socialize, organize and get information um, to share with each other. So, yeah, really um, admired civil society in Taiwan. Well, yeah, thanks. That's... Um... I cannot say it's very strong, but in a way it's active and vivid. Yeah, many of the groups try to be vocal as much as, as possible to push the government to do some change. Yeah, and uh, just like following up the current update of the after after the research, right? Yes. Uh, what have been emerged? Like what kind of policies have been emerged responding to COVID-19 and yeah, what kind? Uh, were there uh, vaccine or other health facilities being distributed to migrant workers or shelters, or is there any other follow-ups? In follow-up, yeah, um, I think one of the very important issue uh, we raised during the pandemic was the amnesty for the undocumented migrants, but it, it's not really follow followed up uh, uh, very well. But at, at least I think that's a very important issue. The migrants, the undocumented migrants are not criminals. They might have been violating some uh, administrative uh, regulations. Right? They overstayed, let's say. But actually they are contributing their, their labor force. They are working, they are still working for Taiwanese. And the, the reason they are, still, they are still staying here shows that there's a need for them. Actually, I want to say, Many migrants, they, after they became undocumented, they are in the mountain, they are in the farms, because there's a very huge shortage of labor power among the farms. Many farm, in, in many farms, oh, they are only the, the, I mean, the rural areas. The young people or middle-aged people, they go to the city to work, to study. They don't want to stay there. 
because it's it, it's re- disregarded. I mean, it's very you will be um, disregarded if you still maintain as a farmer. So mostly it's the old couple, uh, grandparents. They are in the rural areas. So so they many of them they hire undocumented migrants or they hire caretakers to work on the farm. That's illegal, but that's how they do. So I want to actually. Every every day, the vegetables we eat, the meat we eat, might be harvested, harvest or done by the undocumented migrants. We are eating the the fruits they gave us. They are not criminals, okay? And this so this is the one. And then um, some other issues like um, or fascination. Uh, sorry, another thing I want uh, uh, appeared during the pandemic was the zero placement fee. It's it's raised by the Indonesian government uh, around July or August last year. They in, initially they this uh, they demanded that from from January this year 2021, uh, they listed 10 job categories of Indonesian migrants that they they shouldn't pay any placement fee, including the seamen and also the uh, domestic workers. But unfortunately, the factory workers is not listed inside yet, and they said. Um, so the broker's fee uh, or the placement fee should be paid by the employer. And a training fee in the uh, statement from the Indonesian government should be shouldered by the Indonesian government, which is very good, actually. But sadly to say, the response from Taiwan's side, not only the government, not only the employer or the broker, we can imagine that's very, very negative. Even from the government side, it's also very negative. They, the government in Taiwan, they don't, until now, they didn't really recognize the zero placement fee or that or the principle that the migrant workers shouldn't pay to work. It's, it's, it's because it's the employer who needs them. It should be the, if, if there's, there's some money to be paid, it should be the employer, not the migrants to pay. And this is the demand from the ILO and also IOM and other international agencies and more and more labor groups. This is, I can say, this is a, a stronger and stronger international trend. But uh, it's a, a, a little bit uh, sad to see that, that uh, the Taiwan government, you know, they didn't really recognize that. But it's good that the Indonesian government, they raised this, this issue. So the Taiwan government was forced to have dialogue with them. And now the Indonesian side, they postponed the policy to July. So they are still there. They they are having some uh, bilateral meetings on on this issue. I hope they will continue. And I hope hope on one side, the Indonesian government can really insist on this and even include factory workers in it. And I hope, secondly, I hope the other migrant sending countries, they can have the same step the Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, and even other countries should do the same. Because if you don't do the same, it will be like a competition. Oh, Indonesian, Indonesians, you cannot pay. Okay, Filipinos can pay. Oh, or, or a Thailand, Thailanders can pay, or Vietnamese can pay. Then they will try to hire other nationalities. Actually, that's what the Taiwan government is trying to do. They said one of their response was, okay, they have two official, official response. One is, oh, this is only a, a, a demand or a this is only uh, a claim by the Indonesian government. It hasn't been discussed yet. Okay, we don't recognize that. And number two, uh, they will try to find other source country for migrant workers. 
Okay, and we 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 have we heard from different sources that they have found one country as a possible potential candidate, and that's Myanmar. Okay, so that's very <laughs> ridiculous. Myanmar is under this、uh, dictatorship of the military government, but that's、uh, exactly what they want to hire new migrants. I, I don't really hope that that will happen.、Uh, so, so this is number two,、um, and also. The relevant issue, the business and human rights, okay, because the, get rid of the placement fee. It's also relevant to the business and human rights, and actually that's already demanded by, even without the government's force, it's already demanded by some international brands like the Alliance of RBA, the Responsible Business、uh, Alliance. They already put this in one of their key、uh, elements. So when they do the audits, they will ensure. They will ensure that the migrants they don't pay the fee. If they pay the fee before, they will demand the employer to pay back. They will be refunded. Okay, it's it has it has been practiced like that in Taiwan for uh, uh, at least a few years, and they will make it higher and higher. And it's another good thing is one at least one、um, a friendly or a friendlier、uh, recruitment agency in Taiwan. They they are trying to cope with this trend. They they want to they want to slowly change the system. They don't really want to、uh, take the money from the migrants, but from the employer. Maybe not yet now, but at least they are trying. And they already certify themselves to be under the R R B A. That's the first agency in Taiwan to do that. I just、uh, joined their、uh, conference last week, so it's a quite、RBA. successful. Yeah. What does R V A stands for? I'll、uh, be a responsible, responsible business alliance. Actually, before it's called CI,、um, it's a, a alliance for the electronics brands in, initially, but now it, it's expanded a little bit. I, I don't really, I don't really think it's a very powerful、um, control, but at least it's like a, a so a, like a business consensus, a business a, a moral a moral alliance. They want to. Make sure they don't have、uh, this kind of human trafficking or slavery issues among their suppliers. Yeah.、Right. So this is another、uh, good important thing that it's not directly from from COVID nineteen, but it's emerged during this pandemic period. And another thing is、uh, another follow up、uh, thing is the vaccination. Yeah, we have we can see that around the world now everyone is waiting for the vaccination,、uh, waiting for the vaccines. But in Taiwan, it's very slow. But I, I think it's not. Of course, Taiwan is not the, the only the only country that has been very slow on the purchase of、uh, vaccine. Many countries are like that. And the, now the government they have、uh, they only purchased a very small number of vaccines, a, a very small number of doses of the vaccines. They have a list of priorities.、Uh, under the list of priorities,、um, we cannot see. Very clearly、uh, for migrant workers. So the first first few priorities are the medical medical staff, medical workers. That's totally understandable. And also those those workers who are doing the control, the border controls. Okay, those are they they face the high risk. That's totally understandable too. And also、uh, the police, the MP. I'm not really sure, but okay, I can accept. And then the nursing homes. Okay, maybe the It, it says very clearly those、uh, the people who work in the nursing facilities and also those 
uh, people who stayed, I mean, the patients and also the staff. Uh, of course, this is good. And it might cover the migrant workers who work in the nursing homes. But the number is very few, actually. It's very small. It's only like 20,000. Okay. Out of the 700,000 migrant workers in Taiwan, it's only a very small number. And it that, and that, that's the only priority that might cover migrant workers. All of the others, none. So not not the factory workers, not the fishermen, not the domestic caretakers. They are not on the priority list. So I want to ask the government, so how, okay, even they are not, not in the first priority or the first few priorities, what's their priority? Because actually one thing I want to say is that actually everybody say Taiwan is, has been very good on the protection of the pandemic control. I will say, yeah, well, I, I believe the government is, has been doing very hard to do that, but we also have some luck. Why I said that? Because take just take the migrant workers' uh, living condition, for example. Many of them, actually, they live in a very similar place like those in Singapore, or even poorer, even worse than them. It's, it, we are really lucky. We, we didn't really have a large outbreak among the migrant workers. If you see the, how the uh, migrant fishermen live on the ships, you will be shocked. Many of the ships are very small and very crowded, very dirty. The condition is very, very bad. And the migrants, they crowd themselves together in, in the ships. And many factories, their, their dorm is not really very good. The, uh, the, some, some of dorms, they might, they might not even have windows and there are dozens of migrants uh, living in the same room. They have their own uh, double deck, double beds, but they're in the same room. It's very crowded. So the condition is not really that good. So, so we are just lucky. So the vaccination should cover everyone in Taiwan. Migrants, they should be, uh, uh, I mean, according to their risks to be prioritized. Maybe, maybe not the first one, but at least they should be one of the priorities. Thanks. Do you know how they going to, um, you know, what would be the like, criteria for people to be able to get invited for the vaccination? Would it be like similar to, you know, what happened in the beginning of pandemic in Taiwan uh, about the mask distribution, for example? Like it was based on the registration with the national insurance, um, right? So do you think they will use that again or what do you think? Well, it's not a little bit different. Um, I mean, I'm not really against this priority list, but I, I, I just wonder why the migrants are not really there and why mm -hmm. they're not there. Because they are so important. The factory workers, the fishermen, they are so important. Okay, they, they listed the medical workers or the first uh, first aid, the, the workers, the staff on the border control, the military, and also the, sixth, uh, the, uh, the elders, and also the people who are sick, and also mm -hmm. the adults from 50 to 64. That's the last priority. There are 10 priorities in the in this priority list. The last one is the adults from 50s to 64, who are also considered to be elder and also more vulnerable to be affected by COVID-19. And that's that's the end. But I think after this, they should have other priorities. So uh, yeah, that's how they prioritize. Lennon, uh, I think I'd like to elaborate more about your uh, explanation about the, uh, the the Taiwan government 
when uh, at that time uh, you know having an issue with the Indonesian government uh, to really uh, ask their citizen when they want to employ migrant worker abroad like for instance from Indonesia that the costs have to be paid by their own citizens. So I think your government is like trying to uh, securing the interests of the uh, Taiwan citizen who want to employ migrant workers. So, so, so that is why it is it is somehow kind of the aspiration that you know uh, uh, later on convey by the government. So, so, so what's your your idea to really? Uh, because it is also a uh, uh, international community like some uh, like uh, uh, organizations like ILO also mandated to have like a zero cost uh, for for placement and so on and so forth so how uh, how how you see that uh, the, uh, the the response from the taiwanese government say taiwan government saying that if indonesia are doing that so i can employ from other countries so i think it it it, it open up the 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 you know the the governance of of migrants in in Taiwan somehow okay it's only bilateral issue between Indonesia and Taiwan but but the threat given to Indonesian government is like okay if you, Indonesia is too difficult so I can move to other other you know sending countries such as Vietnam Philippines and even you mentioned Myanmar how how we uh, how we advocate this this issue basically in in Taiwan yeah okay thanks for your feedback question yeah it's very important um, yeah, you are right. Uh, Taiwan government, they just want to protect the interests of the employers. And actually at that time, uh, there was, I think this is very, um, it's, it's, a, it's a consequence. After the announcement of the Indonesian government, there was a protest from the employers group back, backed by the brokers. And that's not the, not the factory employers. That's the employers who are, um, I mean, that's the employer of the caretakers. And many of them, they really have, they really have a very um, big need to hire the caretakers. So their their protest was like, "Oh, we are so poor already." They pull, they, you know, they pull those those uh, patients on the wheelchair to the government to the front in front of the government. They want they want to, um, uh, I mean, they want to, um, I mean, they are poor, but they just want to use this to um, blame the government. So how can you do so? We are so poor already. And you want you want us to pay uh, like 100,000 for to just to hire an Indonesian caretaker? How can we do that? We don't have money. Okay. But these there are many, many things to should be discussed. Okay. Firstly, I want to say that there are two main uh, uh, principally there are two categories of migrants. One is the manufacturing Okay, and also the fishermen. Okay, and also the the, the uh, domestic workers, which are very different. Yeah, the employers of the caretakers or the domestic workers, they are not so um, advantaged. And many of them, just like me, actually, honestly, I am an employer of the care caretaker. Okay, I try the best to give everything we can to to give her a day off every week, which is very rare. It's very very rare in Taiwan. Okay. Uh, but many of them they don't think like like me they think that oh we are poor already how can we how can we use our sunday to take care of the patient we need rest right we need to rest too but actually that there's a problem the government should spend more money on the social welfare on the uh, long-term caring they need money but where they can get the money they need to fix the taxation policy actually they need it's not my idea it's not new anymore it has been 
it has been uh, uh, discussed for years, for decades, but the government doesn't want to change. They need to they take more taxes from the business, not from the ordinary uh, I mean, uh, workers, but from the business. Because the business tax in Taiwan is very low, one of the lowest in the world. That's why the government, they don't have enough money to do the social welfare. And that's why most of the employers, they have to rely on themselves to, to, to hire a caretaker at home to take care of their elders, their, their families. So the, that's the, one of the root cause. The government should change their mind. They should have, maybe not so drastically, but they should do it slowly to raise the business tax. So they have more money to do it to, to, for the social welfare. And to the uh, manufacturing, I think there's no reason at all I think the brokers, they are very smart. They, uh, because of course, the Indonesian government didn't uh, uh, include the manufacturing in, uh, at this moment. But you know, there is a very uh, ugly phase, ugly thing in Taiwan. The business, the factory owners, the factory employers, they never pay any single dollar to the brokers on the recruitment. Okay, they hire the workers from Vietnam, from the Philippines, from Indonesia, from Thailand, but they don't pay anything for the employers. That's free service from 30 years ago. That's the that's the ugly reality of the business in Taiwan. They don't pay to the brokers and they enjoy all the services. Okay, the brokers, they, you know, actually there is a very complicated process to, to, to hire the migrants. They have to apply the quota from different government agency and then they have to contact their counterpart abroad to find to uh, to find those workers and to take them to Taiwan from the airport they, they, to take them to the uh, medical uh, medical check and then to the dorm and they have to translate and, and even for the dorm uh, maintenance the dorm coordination the dorm management even the, the, the dorm itself usually is over by the agency it's not the employer so the, the 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 brokers they do everything to the employer but they charge only from the migrants you see how ridiculous it is so it's a so it's totally unjust system it should be changed and it must be changed so we we should reveal this fact and also we should drag all the relevant governments to address this issue. A very com a, a very common response from the Taiwan government was or is, oh, it's not our business because actually we, we, we have a law. Okay, uh, the, you know, another thing is the, the migrants in Taiwan, if they have a broker, they have to pay the service fee to the broker, the Taiwan broker monthly. In three year time, they have to pay 60,000 NT dollars. That's not a small money. That's almost the same as the, the placement fee they pay at home, at least for the Filipino workers. Maybe not the Indonesians, they pay more usually. Okay, but it's still very big. So, so the government in Taiwan, they will say, oh, we have a re regulation for the service fee. So that's how the brokers in Taiwan can charge for, the, for, the, for, the, uh, for their uh, foreign brokers. We cannot manage them. And how did they charge? How, how did they make a loan? That's out of our capacity. That's, that's, that's out of our control. And that's, you should ask the Indonesia and the Filipino, uh, the, uh, their, their government to control their agencies. And actually the two governments or these governments, they often do this to kick the balls, to kick their, 
irresponsibilities. And actually, I, I think all of them, they know it. They are very aware of this exploitative system for decades. Thank you, thank you, Lanan. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting you know, point. Um, it's it's very broad, but you know how the all the social welfare has been privatized, and you know it's become responsibilities of all the private companies, and that's you know that's where they they try to take money out from the the migrant workers as well, and also like what you're saying about all these fees that the migrant workers have to pay. Um, I, I'm just guessing, but I would imagine this is how some people become undocumented because they haven't been able to pay back all the all the loans and the monies that they borrowed in order to pay these fees. And that would lead people to become undocumented because they have to stay longer, work longer years. And then yeah. how this, you know, this system of exploitation is just, you know, it, yeah, the, the way that you explain is very very clear um exactly I, I just a very quick response especially for the vietnamese workers because you know the vietnamese workers or especially the factory workers they pay the highest amount of placement fee in taiwan their placement fee could be as big as uh, six thousand us dollars or even more they have to spend their two years to pay back just just to pay back the loan and the contract is for only for three years so how, how terrible it is. So for many Vietnamese workers, they will think, okay, if if I have a lot of overtime, okay, maybe it's okay. At least I can have some savings. But if there's very little or even no overtime in the factory, they will start to think, oh, it doesn't work. How can I how can I pay back my loan in back in, in in Vietnam? So that's the time they are thinking to run away, to become undocumented, because they know because they have friends, they have relatives, maybe, maybe their sisters who married to Taiwanese, they know maybe they can find a job who can earn more. And actually that's how, how it is. Yes, you're exactly right. And another reason is the um, hostility to the pregnancy, the, the lack of protection of maternity rights in Taiwan. You know, all the women migrant workers, when they are pregnant, even legally speaking, they're protected, but actually they're not no matter in a house or in a factory. They will be asked, okay, just choose yourself. You want to go home or you want a job? Okay, you want a job, it means that, okay, you just, the girls will take an abortion themselves. Even they want the baby. Or they will just uh, be, they will just be, be they, will, they, will, they will be forced to resign and go home to keep the baby. Why they cannot keep the baby in a job at the same time? This is already the 21st century. The maternity rights, the rights to give birth, the rights to raise the kids, should, it's already stipulated in our laws. But for the migrants, they are not considered as a human. They don't have the right, even they should. Okay, and how, how is the government's response? Only lip service. Only lip service. They don't really have a protection system for that. They don't really monitor the, 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 um, the factories not to violate the laws. And they, they never really uh, offer a system for the caretakers, that's because that's, that's another thing. The caretakers in each household, there's only one. So how can the employer do when they found that their caretaker is pregnant? Okay, maybe this Mr. A, they don't want, he doesn't want to violate this, the rights of the, the lady, but he needs someone who take care of her, his father. So what he can do, he will ask the broker, uh, Mr. Broker, please do something for me. And what the broker will do, he will ask the, what the lady, uh, just go home or, or keep the baby. Or, or keep the, the, the work, just you choose yourself. There's no other um, alternative. And the government, they never offer any other alternatives. 
So that's a very sad thing. Until now, the maternity rights is not protected. So actually, some ladies, some women migrant workers, when they are pregnant, because they want to keep the baby and also continue to stay to Taiwan to work, they chose to run away. Yeah, that's how it is in Taiwan. And that that's also another reason that some women migrant workers might become undocumented as well. Because yes, they have yes, yes, exactly, yes. Wow, thank you for that. It's really insightful. And after they, and some of them, they were forced to abandon the baby. There's there are a few NGOs they can help to raise the babies of the undocumented migrants. So after they, if they even after they ran away or uh, ran away or not, okay, some women migrant workers found that they cannot afford to keep the baby. They cannot raise the baby. Just imagine, they are not considered as a, as a human. So, how there is no or, or there is very few employer will allow their worker to keep their baby in the dorm or in the house. So, what they can do, they they some of them they are forced, almost forced to abandon the baby. Maybe keep the baby in front of this facility who might take care of the babies. And some of them they don't even know these facilities, so, so they just threw the babies out. Uh, there, there has been some very tragic news that these babies died because of this. And when this news, when this incident were, were, was uh, exploded in the news, it's like a a, a very negative uh, uh, image to the uh, undocumented migrants for most of the media. So it's very, very, very bad. Most of the media they don't try to see the root cause of undocumented migrants and why these mothers throw their babies, their own child. They don't they don't uh, find these reasons. They just say ah, how cruel these women are, how cruel she is to throw away her own baby. Which which mother will do that? If if not this kind of unjust social system. Right. Um, yeah, that's uh, very sad to hear the whole story. So, what's what's really happening on migrant workers in Taiwan? Um, but like, what do you think about the role uh, the role of civil society organizations on you know trying to advocate more on this uh, effort to protecting the rights of migrant workers to the to Taiwan government so that you know Taiwan government is alerted and really uh, paying attention to this this whole situations what 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 is it needed to be done by the civil society advocacy or perhaps cooperation between countries so that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah uh, there are already several coalitions among the uh, Groups of migrant concerned migrant uh, concerned groups of migrant workers and human rights. So we work together, and SPA is is uh, participating in several alliances or coalitions. One is for fishermen, one for human trafficking, and others for uh, also migrant workers as a whole. So we we try different angles. We we advocate. We are crit critical, but we can also sit down and talk to the government officials if they are willing to talk. So now in the uh, there is a co coalition for the uh, human rights of migrant fishermen. We have a constant meeting with the head of the fisheries agency. We discuss several certain many many certain issues with the, the government, and they try to uh, do some changes. And that's a very positive uh, change. At least they are they are trying to address these issues as as much as they can. And 
We also have some talk with some another minister with our portfolio who is in charge of the human rights issue. Um, he's also the one who's in charge of the human uh, hum, business and human rights action plan and also the human rights action plan in the government. So they will put the migrant workers as part of it. And also there there is a new 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 uh, government agency in Taiwan. It's the human National Human Rights Commission. There's a big step in Taiwan. It's just established last year, and it's it's good that several commission commissioners they they concern about the migrant workers very much. So they even visited our shelters more than once. So this so we are the contact persons to them, and also we constantly um, give them ideas and our criticism of of the government, and also I mean on the migrant workers policy. So hopefully they can also uh, try to push the government as much as as possible. And of course, regionally or inter internationally, internationally is very important for the cooperations, like with um, Human Rights Working Group, our BBC network, and other networks all around the world. We should we should have more co co collaborations, cooperations, because if we don't do that, it's very easy to be uh, isolated. And we should we should give all everyone in each country this common idea. No matter we are in a migrant sending country or migrant receiving country, no matter uh, what's the economic um, um, uh, performance in our country, we are all humans. We should be treated equally. Okay, at least in one country, we should be treated as uh, with a common standard. We, there shouldn't be slavery there shouldn't be workers migrants that should pay and with a big law to work in another country just to have a better salary just to raise their own families we should eradicate this unjust system we should work with everyone we shouldn't let the national uh, the uh, racist idea or the, the differences of uh, nationality or religion to be the block to for the cooperation we should work with everyone with the same minded persons or and 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 groups to work together to uh, push forward to the um, uh how to say elimination of exploitation for all the migrant workers thanks uh lenon uh, congratulations yeah for the establishment of national right, national human rights commission in in taiwan because uh, our office used to uh, uh, host in like, some meeting with Control Yuan earlier. So now they are all have dedicated a commissioner for, for, for human rights. But, you know, uh, following up on this uh, concern about, uh, you know, your CSO work, but I wonder, uh, you are so bold, you are so outspoken, and I'm really admiring your, your work. So what uh, motivates you personally, Leon? Why you are so, you know, eager to strong to to really advocating migrant worker in taiwan and now is of course uh, uh, going to the region uh, on your position as an international coordinator okay some some personal background and also some more emotional background of my uh, touch with the migrants my families are migrants okay both of my, my my parents they are immigrants from mainland china they ran away from china because of the they are afraid of the communist regime and now i think they are right because i can if so outspoken like me if i'm in china maybe i'm not here anymore <laughs> okay and and um 
when I was doing my uh, thesis, you know, when I was still a graduate student, I want to research on. I I was a member of the uh, labor club in my school and back when I was still undergraduate. I want to focus on a worker to make a research. I was I, I majored in anthropology. You know, back back then, the, and the students of anthropology use, usually focus on the indigenous peoples, uh, which is important. But I want to focus some more um, modern. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying they are not modern, but I want to to focus on something. I really I'm really doing on okay. Not to okay go to the mountain to see the indigenous people. They are important, but. Many people are, are doing research on them. I want to, to to do what I focus more the workers, but unfortunately, because because of my par, uh, family background, I cannot really speak Taiwanese very well. And you know, many of the workers in Taiwan they speak they speak Taiwanese. So I, I also saw a news from TV. Maybe you have heard about the, a very big company, Formosa Plastics, and and about twenty years ago, that's one of the biggest company in Taiwan petroleum or the plastic there is a very big plant in Taiwan in central Taiwan Yunling and there were a large number of migrant workers they are doing the construction of the, the plant the factory now it's already a, a, a big factory and one day the two groups of migrants it's, it's already too long so I really forgot who which two nationality groups, maybe maybe uh, Indonesians and Thailands or maybe Filipinos, I'm not really sure, but anyway, two groups of migrants. At that time, it's too long ago, no one has the cell phone. So everyone has to make a long queue for the public phone, paid phone, to call to their loved ones and families to chat. And there are only a limited number of phones. So one, one day, because of the disputes on the use of the phones, Maybe some guy spent too long to, to talk to his girlfriend and another guy was pissed off. And they happened to be two nationalities. So there was a dispute. And then, the, and, and then it became a group fight between the two nationalities. Okay, it's, it's not, not good, but it's, it's understandable, right? And then they call the police. It's still okay just to separate them, okay? Just stop them, that's all. But I see, I saw from the news, the police beat them up like dogs. They use the sticks to beat them so harshly, and some, and all of them were sent home afterwards. I when I saw the news, I when I saw how they were treated, how they were beaten up like animals, I can I cannot stop crying. I, I feel, how can they be treated like that? They are humans. They just want to spend some time to talk to their families. And maybe there's a fight. It's not a big, big deal. Just separate them and maybe have some discipline. Okay, stop it. Okay. And maybe to put more phones. That's all. But what they did is to beat them up and to, to deport them. How much loss they will have. They spent so much, so much money to come to Taiwan to work and then they were sent home. They will, they will be debt in, they will have a debt. So that's the beginning point when I started to think, oh my God. The migrants, they are in the bottom of the Taiwan society. So that's when I, I tried to, to know them. And there was an occasion that I, I visited a Catholic uh, NGO. They hosted, they, 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 they opened up their, it's Reirunovarum Center. They opened up their, their office on Sunday so all the workers can stay there. Mostly Filipinos, yeah, they are, because they are Christian Catholic. So they after the before and after the mass, they stay there. Okay, so anyway, that's how I get in touch with 
migrants. I, I really feel that um, because I am from a migrant family, and I feel emotionally strongly that they are oppressed, and that it shouldn't be like that. And then in my work uh, from from before and also in the shelter, I knew my wife. My wife has been a migrant worker. Okay, she has she was a caretaker in Taiwan, a Filipino caretaker. And she's a member of uh, Migrante, which is a Filipino migrant workers organization. So, and I, that's, I, I worked, uh, cooperated with them for a long time. So uh, I'm from a migrant family. My wife is a migrant. So I work with the migrants for a long time. So that's why I have very long attachment with the migrants. So I, I totally support lovely. them. L- lovely. Uh, thank you so much, Lena. Yeah, thanks. Mariko, do you want to uh, ask more questions? <laughs> no, you know, always whenever we talk with Leno, we can talk forever. <laughs> and it's just, you know, <laughs> it's always, yeah, very, very energetic and very, very good. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, very strong. Yeah, like uh, also, if I may, you know, like a bit, uh, 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 you know, like a kind of uh, reflecting why, you know, like a Taiwanese uh, movement have more how to call that space because I think Taiwan also a democratic uh, country so that's why I think there are a lot of uh, voices there are a lot of strong movement and there is a lot of call you know even like uh, some sensitive issue like what we discussed earlier can be discussed you know even uh, uh, you know uh, uh, you know uh, relating to two countries like for instance the tension between the, the, the Philippine government and the Taiwan and also everything can be discussed in time because you know I think Taiwan has more space to to, to speak up how, how you see it is important to advocating uh, migrant worker issue in these kinds of uh, democratic space line uh, are you 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 mentioned if you are uh, in China's uh, China mainland maybe you have you get difficulties on on voicing out so I think it is really uh, you know intersectionality between the migrant worker rights and also the democratic rights if you know the more democratic society I think is more is not really easier but it's the challenge quite you know uh, less than, if not, a democratic society. Yes. How you see about this? This, this yes, yes. This Actually, I, as an activist, I, I feel uh, um, indebted and thankful for all the, the all those people. Maybe they live they live decades before me. Now we don't have people like me, the advocates. Uh, uh, how many? I mean, no matter how vocal you are, we don't have any life threats. There's no danger actually. Even you, you curse the president. Okay, maybe you will be warned by someone by the government. Maybe you will be asked to the police station. Maybe something like that. But actually, it, it happened very, very, very rare. Okay, there's no risks. Maybe if you okay, let's say if you have a in a, in a protest, maybe if you push to the, to the police, you throw something to the police, you might be arrested and, and prosecuted. Okay, that's a normal normal thing, right? For any activist in the world, that that happened all the time. It's not a, it's not so dangerous. They won't, they won't kill us. But the people, their case before, they have life threats. Okay, there was a white terror, and the people they sacrificed their lives. There are many martyrs in Taiwan before, both Taiwanese and Mainlanders during the white terror period. The, I mean, this democracy or this space of free speech doesn't come from nothing. It's struggled. It's the fruit of struggles. And I, I think in many countries it's like that. But unfortunately, not every country have the same freedom of speech. Not every society is so open. And fortunately, uh, it's also a little bit luck. Okay, 
Um, Taiwan is one of the more open society, especially in Asia. Um, so we have the chance to speak out everything openly without any fears. Our counterparts, our comrades in the Philippines, they might have like threats. They might be killed on the street. And, and yeah, so it's, it's quite different. And yes, we need these democratic rights and in a more open society. We need to be clear-minded and we should we should um, we should protect we should protect this freedom of speech in an open society as we are and because without this we will be threatened and we will we won't have the ability to to campaign yeah Not but even so sorry even so um I, I i believe many of us we will still stay stay on our stance to work just like the the activists in China who might be prosecuted and abused, arrested or disappeared, but they are still trying to do what they can. And also in the Philippines and Myanmar, in Thailand, many countries also. So, But we have some luck here in Taiwan. So we should use, we should facilitate, we should maximize this freedom of speech and, and in this open society to do not only for our the bank to ourselves to the migrant workers in Taiwan and also to everyone in this region and in the world. Absolutely, thank you, Lennon. I think that's what really we try to do here. Uh, people like us who are privileged enough to speak out, you know, like to have a space to to support each other. We have been speaking some of our other field researchers. They're feeling isolated because, you know, the work that they do in their country is trying to advocate for rights, migrant workers and other minority groups. Um, you know, we we need to build the solidarity here on this platform. And of course, with the, with all the other alliance and other, you know, established organizations and alliance that's been working for years and decades, um, you know, that we are now standing on their struggle. So, you know, that we need to appreciate that and work together so yeah it's, it's very very great message from you thank you and i just just you know remind remind myself that today is actually the international day of remembrance of victims of slavery and this week is the the you know the week of solidarity with the people struggled with racism and racial discrimination so you know this is a very good conversation that we had today yeah from my stuff as well thank you so much for sharing your research your work and uh, honestly your personal stories because uh yeah because you're you can relate to the condition of migrant workers and this is the reason why that motivates you to advocate yeah, the protection of theirs and yeah it has been very inspiring to feel your enthusiasm on this advocacy, that you really want to uh, enforce the effort on the protection of migrant workers in Taiwan. So I would like to thank you so much for yeah, sharing sharing your uh, advocacy work with us. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. My pleasure to share every time to, to with you and with everyone. I hope we can learn from each other. And I hope if some of my words can be have can have some influence or some enlightenment to other friends, that would be my most pleasure. Thanks. Thank you, Lennon. Stay healthy. Thanks. thanks. Yeah. Thanks, everyone.
To know more about this joint research and the situations of other major migrant workers' destination in East and Southeast Asia, listen to other episodes of this podcast series on COVID-19 and migrant workers. Thank you.